Hello everyone, welcome back to Open House. Hello, I am so happy that you are here with us, that you have us in your ears. I hope that you're listening to this, walking to a pub on a sunny day to go meet friends. <gasps> yes, to socializing. Oh, I'm Mel, so hi- jealous. I'm not because... <laughs> I'm Clancy and I are together. We're recording this one together. We are recording this together. Mel is back from her work trip. <laughs> it sounds so like, it sounds like you're a um it sounds like you like do an office job, like you've been back from a work trip. I did used to. This is this is not in fact an office job. But I'm I came back from being away on the day that everything sort of opened up. So all of my friends are going so, to see their friends and I am stuck yeah, inside. Yeah, I'm about to go to dinner and Mel can't come because <laughs> she's stuck in quarantine. It's so Sorry about it. We to... were like, should we wait for Mel? We were like, we can do another one when she's out of quarantine. You were just like, no, you've just been away. You've been doing fun things. So we don't feel sorry for you. <laughs> you can Absolutely right. <laughs> Absolutely right. Um, anyway. Mel, who we got on the show today? <sighs> we have the wonderful Kate O'Donnell on the show today and... The conversation that we had was so brilliant and I just want to say the biggest thank you to Kate for lending us her voice and for her voice in general. It is a wonderful one, a beautiful one. I can honestly say that I've learned so much from her and just think that she's incredible and the work that she does is awesome and yeah, she's just an all-round genuinely wonderful person and somebody um, who I have gotten the opportunity to to work with and call a friend I think we're friends Kate are we friends I hope we're friends. Um, but she's yeah. gonna ride in and be like no I'm sorry <laughs> you cannot be my friend but yeah um yeah just lots of lots of thank yous and um and yeah and for all of our guests you know who bring bring us their brilliant it's getting stories. so emotional yeah. we're like and for all of our guests when we can have more than six people at a pub we'll buy you all a drink if we could afford to do that but we can't we will be able to <laughs> but yeah we just appreciate that people um, bring us their voice and feel that they have a platform to be able to share their stories. And I think that, you know, that's why we're doing it, to share stories. Because we love chatting. Yes, that and... (laughs) (laughs) Essentially that. Essentially that, yeah. Um, Absolutely. I second all of that. Please do follow us on socials. We are at Open House Pod on Instagram and at underscore Open House Pod on Twitter. I've been scarred from TikTok. Um, I don't know if I'll go back, but we'll keep you posted. And I would just like to include a trigger warning for the episode. In the second difficult conversation, abuse is talked about. If this is something that you are not in a position to hear right now, that is of course okay. The second difficult conversation is announced, so please feel free to either skip that bit or join us again next week. And without further ado, on with the episode. Enjoy. Welcome to Open House. The podcast all about having those difficult conversations. Ever had to hash out funeral plans with your terminally ill mum? Or ask if your dad is really your dad? We have and we want to chat all about it. Join me, Clancy. And me, Mel, as we open up and get into some nitty gritty details. Like therapy, but cheaper. This is Open House. Hello everyone and welcome, welcome to back the to show. Open House. Oh, wow, I am so thrilled about <laughs> who we have on the show today. I'm literally so stoked because firstly, I've not seen this person in a while and just seeing their face on the Zoom screen has literally brightened my day. Everyone, we have Kate O'Donnell in the studio today. Hello, everybody. (laughs) So, just so you all know, Kate is an actor, writer, and maker based in Manchester. Her credits include You've Changed, Pass on BBC Radio 4, and Gypsy at the Royal Exchange in Manchester. Whoop, whoop. Kate is the founder and artistic director of Trans Creative, a trans-led arts company dedicated to telling trans stories and the curator of Trans Vegas, a festival started in 2017, which will be happening this year in Manchester over the 18th, 19th and 20th of June. Later this month, Kate will be a panellist at the Hope Mill Theatre's Turn On Fest, discussing trans representation within the arts and culture sector. We are utterly thrilled to have her on the podcast. Give it up for Kate! Yeah! 
That's Kate, so thank nice. you so much for coming on. Oh my god. How just... are you doing? I know we asked you this before, but for the sake of the listeners, yes. how are you? Yeah, I'm good actually. I've ended up having quite an interesting lockdown that I didn't spend any of it in my home. So I ended up kind of in Yorkshire and now I'm in Turkey and it's been very me and my boyfriend who've never lived together before. Um oh, wow. uh, and that's been it's gone really well, actually, all things considered. I think we're quite glad when we have a day off each other, obviously. Um, so, yeah, things have been, it's been very, it's been a very interesting, I'm working all the time, keeping the trans arts company going. That became my focus, actually. So um, we've definitely developed a strong digital arm to our organisation now, which I don't think will disappear. So I think that's been a really amazing positive. Like the festival we did last year, we reached 15,000 people. So it was big and from all around the world. So I think there is something about the trans community. Um, I've been very interested in creating trans only spaces, which I've never managed to do offline, like in venues and stuff. So I think there's some stuff we're definitely going to carry on. So there's been some real successes. And of course, I've had all the usual missing everybody. My godson's a year older. Um it's all about the vaccine now and uh there's a lot it's a, there's a lot going on aren't there and some days it feels like groundhog day um but yeah this is nice i've been doing loads of podcasts obviously so i'm yes I'm... you've been so hard to book in you've been so busy and i'm so glad that we made it happen yeah but well we're, we're honored you've chosen to come on the show then you know you're high in demand kate i'm yes. a massive fan so oh. i'm so thrilled to have you on well i thought i was on your podcast already and i ended up on another podcast and i was like where is mal and i was really confused and i'd, I'd kind of done a bit of prep and it and it was going on and i was like um what's going on with this podcast <laughs> I mean, I'm dyslexic, so it can go very wrong, very fast. Oh, my gosh. That oh. is hilarious. Oh, I didn't... Oh, I was meant to... I, I put this on, over here because so, I wanted I wanted to... Um, I thought it was Look. really lame. Well, not lame, but... Look. I've got my T-shirt. You've got your standby, your trans T-shirts on. Available at transcreative.uk. All money goes towards Yes, trans that's art. why I wanted to put it on. Yes. So I was like, we need to plug, we need to plug it. Yeah. But it's like the comfiest T-shirt I've it's worn. It's nice quality T-shirt, it. isn't it? It's such good quality. Yeah. I love we it. We went all out um, on quality. Just because we're trans doesn't mean it has to be shoddy. You know, <laughs> activism. Activism can be, you know, high quality Stylish. cotton. <laughs> And high qual. Yes. So, activism. Yes. That's what I'm currently doing. I'm putting my <laughs> re-putting my t-shirt on. Oh, Here we go. I it's live. It. A live, live bit of activism. And you will have a very yeah. different day when you wear those t-shirts. I mean, I really have to be in the mood. As a trans person, I really have to feel quite... I can take this today, put, having trans yeah. written on your the top. Because, you know... Um, so I love it. I love it when I see allies. I think it's... Uh, yeah, it's it's a statement. It's a, it's a real big support. And I would hope that if somebody was trans, imagine you have, that makes me want to cry, you had that T-shirt on and somebody is just deciding whether to come out or tell their family or had a bit of transphobia. And they see you in the supermarket just casually wearing a standby. Your trans. It's very actualizing and and like mm. it's kind of affirming. And um, yeah, and we did, that was originally a show I did called Big Girl's Blouse and um, that's the first show I made. It was about me growing up as a very femme, well, trans kid before we knew what trans was. And at the end, I sang mm. Stand By Your Trans, a version of Stand By Your Man, with a flash mob choir that would come on wearing those T-shirts. Oh, my god! So it was very empowering, and it was very much what we needed five or six years ago. But the landscape of trans culture and trans art has morphed in the last five years you know it's unrecognizable you know I kind of made art because I couldn't see any and now I'm literally booking I have to pick and choose who go who goes in the festival and I'm looking and it's very nuanced and it's very it's very different to how how it was for I'm not saying I it's trans work's been around for years but it wasn't on my radar and I couldn't find it so that's what initially started you know that's what drove me to make it really it is incredible, and I'm yeah. I've been pointing a family member of mine has just come out as trans, and so yeah. I've been Mel and I have been pointing them in the direction of your company because they live in Australia, and I think you know I think being in theatrical communities, the yeah. queer communities and the LGBT communities, mm. very visible, but mm. I think in other spaces not as much. Like you know, because I was thinking in Australia, like Sydney Mardi Gras is fucking huge. Like there mm. must be 
people and things and organizations but they're just not Mm. on my family members radar so it's incredible and I think we need to be you know just promoting it as widely as possible so that people like my cousin who wouldn't ordinarily be in that space know that it's there and it's a whole festival I mean if they go there the whole of last year's festival is on there and and it's positive and it's vibrant and it's called Trans Vegas, you know, so you know it has a tongue in cheek. We've already stepped over some of the narrative, you know, and we're we're heading into some of the trans joy, which is important, you know, and we're focusing mm-hmm. on different aspects. You know, there's lots of people who are campaigning and I think my activism is probably less now. <clears throat> it's probably different. I, I don't I feel that I feel like I had to, I felt like I kinda had to be an activist five years ago now I feel like oh I can kind of have a different role and I see some brilliant activism by people like Monroe Bergdorf and um yes. you know loads of brilliant trans activists so I don't I don't I don't consider myself to be in their league but I'm I'm very supportive of activism and I I'm, I think you know trans joy is a form of activism setting up a trans arts organization is a kind in the north of England you know is a, is a kind of form of activism and uh, kind of asking those questions like yeah, right. When I go to venues, go. So, what trans work are you uh, curating and producing at the moment? And there's just this yes. silence, you know. So even that question is the activism. So shall we? Shall we? Shall we? Shall we kick it off? Do you want to play two truths, two truths and a lie with us, Kate? Yes, please. Delightful. <clears throat> so it's on you. You get to give us your two truths and a lie, and we're going to try and guess which one is the truth and which one is the lie. Okay. So. Okay. I have three brothers and one sister. I trained as a hypnotherapist and I once worked for Boy George. Those are hard. I thought I was going to be like, yeah, Kate and I have worked together. We know each other. I'm going to get these all right. And now I'm like, oh, I'm questioning everything I once knew. Mm. oh I'm thinking I'm like I'm wondering if maybe you change like hypnotherapy maybe you're trained in like I don't know aromatherapy or like um mm. something with crystals or something I'm trying to think but I'm actually gonna go for I think the lie is how many siblings you have because I reckon that one's quite easily play aroundable with and I'd love to I, I just would love to know the stories behind the, the boy George and the hypnotherapy so I'm gonna go with the siblings that's that's what I'm just gonna say I think siblings is the lie uh, I I feel like I should know this because I think you have told me. But yeah, I'm also going to say the siblings is a lie. Because... The siblings is a lie. Yes, 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 yes. I was about to say Mel never go with me because I always get it wrong, Kate. I'm always no. like, yeah, I think it's theirs. It's definitely theirs. Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. Please, can you tell us about being a hypnotherapy person? Yeah, well, that, that was weird because I had hypnotherapy and it was like... Um... It was like a lot of do with um, taking you back to your childhood and it was really powerful. And it was a time when I was kind of working on myself and a lot of the, you know, I was a bit like that back then. Whereas if I loved the company, I loved the company so much, I bought it. Do you know what I mean? Rather than just thinking, uh, and so I trained as a hypnotherapist. So it wasn't a hypnotist, it was a hypnotherapist. Therapist. Oh, wow. And then I did work for More Protein, which was Boy George's record label. I was one of the dancers for his, um, one of his acts called Eve Gallagher. I ended up performing in front of 25,000 people in Paris. Being flown it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. It was so 90s. I mean, it couldn't have been any more 90s if you'd tried that whole Did you have, like, white cargo pants or something? Um, no, but it was <laughs> Snap were on the same. And um, E17. And it was, like, it was like a compilation. Now that's what I call music. But it was the French version. So it was Amazing. massive. It was ma- and I, I was with a friend. And they were so nervous. Their, their, their mouth went so dry. Their teeth just, like, got stuck. Their, mouth, their lips got stuck. And every time I turned around to dance and face them, I just couldn't stop laughing. You can see that on YouTube, actually. Somewhere, somewhere on YouTube. It's a lot. Oh it's a my really, gosh! It was a really good gig. We're gonna um, find it and link it yeah, in the show notes. Yeah, we everyone. should try. <laughs> just, just speaking of like that thing where you're on stage with someone and every time you look at them, you just like absolutely lose all sense of character. The the show that I was on before the apocalypse, um, there was a quick change, and two of the guys got their trousers mixed up and one of them was really short and one of them was really tall and, oh, so, and so he put the like <laughs> tight trousers on and the, you could just see like his like 
every definition of his genitals yeah, yeah. for the entire scene yeah. and we were just like <laughs> please <laughs> oh, so I love that. I love that. every single glance in that <laughs> direction it was just like that everyone just went and there were loads of, it was a lot of just like milling you could around do a on whole stage. podcast on things that people you know what went wrong on stage I mean, I this... oh yeah i think we could do a whole podcast on stuff that happened on on gypsy cake i I'm think sure. so like, like when like... i didn't when i just didn't come on <laughs> Oh, God, yeah, I remember what, that. What that were you so doing funny. instead? I had a lot of problems. I had a very, I had like a <laughs> 10, 15 kilo metal, metal heart that was, that was very tenuously strapped to me with a belt. And I was quite nervous probably for the first couple of weeks. And I was really always checking that it, the belt was on proper because I was angle grinding on top of it. And, um, uh, and, and I was fiddling show, around with my belt and I suddenly heard my life the cue for my line it, it was happening on stage so i walked on stage like nothing had happened and it was in. so fabulous you literally sauntered on like like it was so good and susie sang so the line susie sang my chorus once before i sang my song so she sang a whole chorus about being electrifying and she's meant to be singing about a trumpet so she did a whole i watched her sing all my lines before i was about to do them once that, that is so what funny. did you what did you do then did you like i just, sing, I just sang them sing? again i thought you can't yes, hear them enough <laughs> <laughs> you need to hear this again <laughs> that is so awesome but what amazing two truths and a lie um i am so excited to crack on with your difficult conversations yes. i have yes, i love too. it when we don't know what they're going to be about it terrifies me but i'm also like oh my god give us the juicy goss so whichever <laughs> one you want to start with um you go right ahead and we will Wait with bated breath. Well, I, d- I decided not to. I think when I thought, remember when I thought I was doing this podcast before, I'd really, yeah. over, yes. I'd really prepped and I couldn't find any yeah. of the prep. So today I had a little chat with my boyfriend. I said, do you remember when I kind of sorted out my difficult conversation? They vaguely remember. So I haven't overplanned this. So, yeah, um, good. That's good. I, but they're there. You know, they're there. And I think, I think they're, 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 they felt like there are loads of little difficult conversations that you can get better at as you go along life. You know, like having to ask a housemate to leave or, you know, those those kind of those, those ones that you have had to do that. Yeah. Um, but those feel like they feel like little life things that you can you can with practice you can get. But I think there are some recurring ones that for me feel like they don't go. They ha- that they, they, they don't they, they remain difficult. And yeah. I think it's around it's around my kind of identity and being trans and I transitioned like 20 years ago. And back then it was very much about living in stealth. You know, people didn't come out about being trans and it was, there was no positive trans identity. So it was very much, you kept your head down. I mean, I was told to like burn photographs, move away from where I lived, don't look back. So I decided to stay put, use the photographs in autobiographical shows. (laughs) Do the opposite, really. But um, I think for me, and this has, I would say it's got better, but my, I think, I think when you've always had some difficulty in those conversations, you kind of braced for them. Yeah. So with the minute, the minute it's revealed that you're trans, there is going to be a difficult, it's never like, I've never told, you know, people that I trans, because I think some people with my work, I mean, I outed myself with all my theatre work and the work I do. So I've, I've outed myself, but people who didn't know that, that there's a really interesting thing. Some people feel like um, you've um, misled them in some way, or you should have kind of done that before, you know, like you've kind of slightly misled them about your gender and, or there's an awkwardness to it. And then along with that, then comes the questions. So the conversation, I don't know if it's so much a conversation as just a, like an awkward, embarrassing set of questions that you then, the conversation gets difficult when you have to decide what you want to answer and how you get out of that conversation. So it can literally be quite genital focused. It can be literally think within five minutes people can ask you about their your genitals. So you know there's ways you can kind of go. Well, let's talk about your genitals first, and then we'll come on to mine. And but immediately it feels defensive. And I think I think I've like we had it here. There was um somebody who's actually a theatrical agent or retired theatrical agent. Um, 
I kind of said that I'd been in Gypsy and they Googled me. And of course, what came up then? I'd, I'd said no to a musical and um, Breakfast on Pluto because they'd cast a, uh, a cisgendered person to play a trans part. So there was a lot in the press just before lockdown. <clears throat> so they, they were very privy to a lot of information about me. And then it's just like, so how does this work? What does it, what, when were you, who are you, what are you? And it can be really, it can be really tiring. And it's really dependent on what mood I'm in. And it can go well that we reach, I can be really in the mood for some casual transphobia and find it funny. Do you know what I mean? Or people, I, I decide, yeah, today I'm going to talk about my fucking genitals. Why not? you know mm. and then other days you just feel a bit crushed by it like I am being reduced to this now and there is no there is no information on their side it's really up to me to drip feed you information about the trans community like I have to defend the trans community explain it counteract debates that go on around the trans community or people yeah. say let's talk about what um turfs feel about the trans you know people want to have a debate so it can be a real the whole thing it's very rarely how amazing I'm so excited for you <laughs> or yeah. that's great I know loads about trans stuff have you heard about this artist or oh it's very you do get that but it's very rare so I always find that conversation even like the the, the part you know the conversation I had to have when I found out that they'd cast a cisgendered person that was a difficult conversation because then I'm dealing with a really big production that's going to go to the West End and they have basically fucked up. You know, they've yeah. cast and it's not going to land very well. So sometimes I have to find a way. I think what I said was, are you ready for the backlash? That's what I said to the director of that true, decision. True though, yeah. You know, are you ready for it? So when I'm really cool and when I'm in a really good mood, I can be very calm and collected and the bigger person and... And imagine what it's like from their perspective who haven't really had much experience with trans people. Other days, I'm like, why is this, why is this always my job? You know, when, when is somebody else going to um, take some responsibility for education and being a bit more informed? You know, it's very much, I think it's very, it's like, it's like you know, I always say it's not black people's job to sort out racism, you know. It's like, and I think with the Black Lives Matter thing that happened, I was telling a lot of my black friends to sit down, you know, I'm going to up my anti-racist work, mm. you, you know. Yeah. And I, I think, I think I'm, I'm always really excited when allies and people kind of take up, you see it on social media stuff where, where cis people are really like, you sit down a minute, we've got this transpect, or step in. You know, like during when the, when those conversations are happening, they step in, and that's quite nice. So they kind of they you don't have to have that difficult conversation. But I've been coming out for years. You know, I came out as a gay man in the nineteen eighties, and we've just had it's a sin on, you know, and it was like it's very clear what the landscape of that, what the landscape of nineteen eighty one when I was sixteen was like. So I kind of feel really ready for those difficult conversations. They, they, they're less difficult for me. In t for, for, I can't imagine for other people it would be like their idea of hell. You know, but for me, it's like my bread and butter. And I suppose what I've done is, I mean, you've changed the show you mentioned in the beginning. I made that show so I wouldn't have to have those difficult conversations, mm. at least to the, that audience. Yeah. And mm. that audience asked me better questions at the end of it. Yeah. You know, they would talk about the art or they would talk about... It's so nuanced what's going on in our community. And when it's reduced to uh, genitals or toilets or... It can be very, it can be quite difficult. I don't know if that's what you were looking for in terms of difficult conversation, but that's a recurring one for me. Absolutely. That's exactly, exactly it. Um, I find it interesting that you um, mentioned the, well, mentioned the word TERFs and mentioned sort of mm. other people within like mm. the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. Yeah. I think when you're in an echo chamber, I think it yeah. can be really easy to sort of see the things on social media and see that sort of uh, that's that's what the world looks like for those people. I'm sure people do it in regards to, um, as you as you said, black people, I'm sure people are sort of, you know, sort of think, oh, yeah, that that probably happens. But you can feel kind of removed from it or because you're in an echo chamber where you hear all of the good, mm. you don't realise that well, I think I, I personally realise it because I see it, but like, you know, it, it can be, I think, 
I know people that I'm sure they probably think that because they, as I said, they're in this echo chamber, they don't hear these firsthand examples like yourself mm. where you are literally having conversations where people reduce mm. your being to mm. like what you were saying. Yeah, I mean, I've done genitalia. shows. I've done shows. I mean, I, um, I've literally done a theatre show. I mean, I have a conversation with my vagina in You've Changed. You know, I'm, na- I'm having a conversation. And, and my family came to see I mean, my family, I mean, bless them. They came to see it and they were like, they thought <gasps> it was a fake vagina. They thought I had a fake like don't know what that was about and and other times I've come off stage and people have literally when I've gone through stuff about my surgery I mean I'll never make those shows again they were my explaining shows um yeah I I think and they're important and they had a place but I won't be doing that again but people literally come up and say so what have you had done and I was like what have I what have you seriously just sat and watched me for an hour? It's not that... of your old business. Like... Well, it's also, I've told you, like, it's like I've covered that. It's like, just to say I've got nice hair and well done. I mean, don't people know what, what to say you when do? you come off stage? Thanks. But don't people know when you come off stage, you just, you just say, I loved it. And even if you didn't go, I loved yeah. it. Or you, you say know? the lighting yeah. was amazing. Oh my I God, really that's so that shady. transition. Yeah. Or oh, that transition that happened between that scene and Beautiful. that scene was really great. Or, oh, I loved how you use that artistic device to explain that thing. Like, do your yeah. research before yeah. you go to the show and be yeah. better. Yeah. Oh. That, those, um, yeah, there's definitely... Um, it's often more disappointing than uh, kind of exciting to have those conversations. You know, they're often... Yeah, you know, and I have a trans boyfriend, so in that situation here, we were both faced with that. And I did feel a bit vulnerable, because when when people discover your identity, you don't know the way that conversation's going to go, really. Yeah. And you just have to brace yourself and almost say a little prayer and, and hold your head up and think, actually, I know more than you do. I'm the expert here. You know, I'm full-time trans, so I know how yeah. this plays out. And then try and be kind you know, in a good day, I can be kind. You know, I think on other days, um, if it had been like the Gender Recognition Act has kind of just been a big mess and you've only just found out some more transphobia online, maybe you're not so kind yeah. that day. You know, it's very dependent. And that's why I love trans-only spaces because there's no debate, there's no looking over your shoulder. You feel so free and you really are moving into something. You can move past all those conversations but um, I, just, I just always hope that my work helps people have a few one-liners or another reference point, you know, as an ally or a trans person, or to feel like they can hold their head up for those conversations, thinking, well, what would Kate do? Or, or you know, have somebody who y- you don't have to be crushed by people's questions or those conversations. You know, those difficult conversations should be difficult for everybody not just you they they can they're intrinsically difficult sometimes but I don't think it should just be our difficulty um I mean I'm not saying it hasn't got better because but the fact is we're having those conversations some people didn't even know trans people exist or you know that you know so there's in 20 years there it's with visibility comes vulnerability though and we are much more visible and unfortunately Gandhi said it's one of my favorite quotes first of all they will ignore you then they will laugh at you then they will fight you and then you will win and I feel like we have been ignored I definitely think in 20 years people didn't even register us then we were the butt of the joke in a lot of things in social in media you know in theater and television now we're in the fight stage I definitely feel like you know to have to go back into well, not even back, to have to go into to debates about toilets. Definitely feels like we're at the fight stage. But the thing is, as Gandhi said, yeah. we will win. So I'm just yeah, an optimist. Absolutely. You know. I, I'm wondering, I don't know if you can disclose or want to disclose any more on this, but you mentioned the conversation you had with the director when you said, are you ready for the backlash? Yeah. I'm really interested in yeah. how the rest of that conversation played out because obviously you did like retract your involvement in the project um yeah. i would have hoped maybe yeah. they would have retracted the other casting so i'm so i'm exactly. so I, and that, yeah. maybe that that actor would have seen that and gone you're right they had a lot of respect yeah no no there was nothing there was nothing came from that side um i think as well sadly well it was all a mistrick really because there was if they'd have cast a trans person i was playing a cis role 
So I was playing a, um, a really put upon Northern Irish, brilliant kind of um, matriarch who who was kind of had this f- trans queer child forced on them, if you like, and was dealing with that in the best way they could in the 1960s and 70s. So it was a really nuanced, interesting part, and I loved it. Um, and I played it that way. I had some sympathy for the mother. But I just thought the bottom line is, this mother was extremely vile and transphobic. And I thought, how amazing to have a trans person on stage playing a cis cis vile mother, giving out to this young trans child of theirs. I just thought, you could sell the show on that. You know, and it increases that idea of casting. So they kind of miss lots of tricks. But basically what they did say was they had absolute respect for me for doing that. And they completely understood and they felt like they could have done better. And I do know that director since has gone on to really, because it was set in Ireland, um, they've gone on to support quite a few trans artists since then. So, you know, that's good. And the show didn't get made because... Miss Corona came along and ruined everybody's fun. So, but who knows what's going to happen? You know, maybe it will go ahead. Maybe they've had a bit more time. But the thing about casting is it's flying ahead. And if you don't, if you don't get trans casting like, right, it's like black casting, disabled casting, queer casting. If you don't get it right, you just look really mm. old fashioned. You look really yeah. outdated and uncool, I think. So I feel like, if you want to cast Scarlett Johansson as a trans man, okay. You know, if you want to cast a cis man because you like his voice and you don't think you can find a, a trans person, but you're just going to look intrinsically out of touch. And I, I think, I think, yeah. I mean, I'd like to have specialist- more conversations with, about, I'd like to have more, I, have, I try and have more conversations with mm. the industry. Um, yeah and, and and it's it's one step forward two steps back a bit yeah but there are you know people out there who are who can be hired onto projects who have you know sort of books that are inclusive of of those people and will be able to help people sort of you know broaden their because this is the thing it's you know it's I guess about having the people in the positions of power with mm. the lens and the eye to be able to know yeah. that they can go like this yeah massively open up their sphere so that they're including all of the people that need to be including so we don't end up in situations where you are casting a yeah. cis man as a trans person that and they yeah. like and they'll be able to get have the right it was very cis it was a it was completely white cis that is so often the case, isn't it? Cis, what I mean. Cis, white, white it's cis so male. Often the case. It was white cis male. I mean, some of them were gay, but it was a white cis male team. I so, rarely walk into a room and you it's do? any different. If I see a woman on the panel, I'm like, I know. me too. Friends. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. know. I know. It's, and you, re- you realise like, you realize you're so deprived. I felt like Gypsy, definitely with the casting, the way they centred black uh, actors and black people of colour. I felt like it made that, it suddenly made Gypsy so relevant to now, like who might be struggling in showbiz right now, you know, like to update it from the 1930s, who might be having to struggle to get a good part on stage and maybe even having to revert to their bodies, you know, and their, you know, who might that be? And I think it was pretty smart to cast a lot of, well, it felt like a lot. I think when, you, when you're white, it always looks like a lot, actually. But when you do the maths, it's... Looking at you black, you're like, it's okay. When you're white, like, it's so many. My boyfriend always goes, yeah, that's because you're white. Add it up. But but I think centering, for me, it's centering. Who do you centre? I mean, Joe Davis is a particularly... I love Joe Davis because they cast me in Twelfth Night as, and they cast me as Feste at, at the Royal Exchange. And, and I'd never done Shakespeare before. And they wanted, because that's all about gender politics. Yeah, Twelfth so Night, much. They wanted the Feste to be trans. So, and then a very out trans character. So I kind of got to play like, I started off looking like Dave Bowie. Then I was a drag queen. And I had just had such an amazing role. So I like, I like what Joe, I think Joe is a great, um, what do they call them? Like the gatekeeper. You know, Joe jo knows her position, I think, as a white, cisgendered um, director. I think they mm. use it really well. They, 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 the, the way they cast and uh, they've had criticism yeah. as well before, I think, you know, and they get pulled up about it very interestingly. But 
Yeah. It can be done. It's like a brilliant, it seems like a brilliant building for doing all of that. Yeah. Like, yeah, it was a great project to be on. And you were great. So fucking oh, fabulous. Stop it. So were you. Honestly. <laughs> so brilliant. I think we should do a, a, do a, re- a revival right now. <laughs> I know. If anyone's listening and you want to do that, I'm getting. <laughs> um, before we move on, I really want to see if there's anything else on those difficult conversations that you feel like you want to put out into the ether about having those conversations I do. I think I think something I would say, if people are really struggling what to do, like my family, which we're probably going to come on to the second um, mm. conversation, but around the trans stuff, they um, there was definitely an element of just ignoring it. There's, there's something worse about not being asked and that's it being not acknowledged, what you've just said. So if you do have that conversation, you come out. Like when I was at... I kind of... I worked quite a large charity for a while and I came out at that charity and most of that was really good actually 500 I sent an email to 500 people and it was back in like two 20 years ago and it was fine actually it was really well met I mean it was awkward sometimes when you actually met them and they said things like oh I'm so relieved you don't look like blah 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 you know because I I don't know I think I think people's view of what trans should look like is quite rigid and it kind of goes into misogyny for trans women and um, sexism and it can be it can be quite a minefield that like how trans people look but I always say now if somebody can be bothered to come out to you you just say thanks for telling me if you can't think of anything else and that is a way to acknowledge it and value it so I would definitely say and I would say to trans people out there don't feel like you have to I mean I sing a song in um, uh, You've Changed where I go look it up read a book get on the net open up your mind and see what you find you know, I deliberately made a song, you know, about show me you're bright and show me you're smart. Like, it's really nice when people say, as a cisgendered person, I can relax then. When I'm in a room with somebody who says, as a cisgendered person, I go, good, you're seeing yourself, you're not othering me. You're seeing yourself in the gender soup that we're all mm. swimming around in. You're not, you're not on the mainland and I'm on a tiny little boat. Do you know what I mean? Trying to get onto the mainland. Like I say people, people say, what does cis mean? I say not trans. Whereas I'm almost <laughs> saying that trans is the majority. That's yeah. by saying you're not trans. Yeah. So you, I'm assuming you two are not trans. So it's almost like trans is the norm. Yeah, you know. it's like using the term global majority, which because yeah. obviously white is the minority yes. in the global soup of exactly. people. Exactly. It's why we often use the, which I really, I've only started seeing it more regularly recently, but it's, it, re, it also subverted my view as a black yeah. person. Yeah. And I was like, oh yeah, like that's actually true. Even mm. though I've been othered and felt like mm. the not majority for mm. like my whole mm. life, that's mm. not the actual case in the grand scheme of things, which Global is- Global majority. Yeah, really I love interesting. That. If, if yeah. I'm going to make sure that I, I use that. And I always make a little joke. I say, just because you, you're the majority, it doesn't mean you're normal. It just means you're common. That's my little that's cisgender. So I, like, I like just to, because humor is important. If, you, if you're having a good day, to use some humor and bat it back and- or if people really want to go there and be a bit like want to talk about gender, I went, great, so this is what we're talking about today, yeah? This is, this is where we're at. We are going to literally get our genitals on the table. Is that it? And I keep going until they're like, no, 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 that's not... <laughs> but I'm very lucky because I'm confident. I just feel what I always feel and what work I do is for people who don't have the confidence and the voice and the, you know, mm. agency those conversations could be very destructive for them. They, they could set them back and be quite difficult, but, you know. Yeah, that makes total sense. Total hmm. sense. Um, okay, I'm going to do one of these really fun, awkward segues that we have to do when I we think, change topic. I hope it's like, actually we be changing have topic. A, um, it well, might be I think we should this. have a musical bit. Like, dun, Jingle. Dun, 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 boom, number yeah. two. Boom, ba-dum, ba-dum, boom, 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 Like that. <laughs> There we go. And on that note, Kate, <laughs> would you like to introduce your second difficult conversation? Yeah, I think for me, it's been quite interesting because this morning I watched the Meghan Markle and Prince 
Harry interview. So the one that I had listed before was about um, denial, really. And I think um, specifically around families, I think awkward... I, I find... So I have to have some awkward conversations sometimes within my family and with and outside my family around um, stuff that went on in my family. Um, so I think there was um, alcoholism in my family. There was violence from both my mum and my dad. And it was a very um, dysfunctional family setup. And even outside of my immediate family, you know, my aunties and uncle, it was, it was all quite dysfunctional. And there's been a lot of, you know, there's been suicides, there's been death by alcoholism, it doesn't really matter what's happened, but there is this level of denial. So I find those conversations very difficult to have. Um, is it there was a film called Austin County, something Sage oh, County? Yeah. And it was so dysfunctional. And I remember watched it and I felt relaxed for the first time in ages, you know, in a cinema. I just, the more, dis, the more vile um, Mel Street's character was and the more dysfunctional it got, I just found myself like, oh, just breathing a bit more because we're, we're so faced with archetypes of families. And we know that's not mm. true. But I think it's been really interesting watching that opera um, Winfrey in, interview today because of that, um, even though it's blatantly obvious, and if we all came clean, it would probably just quickly move through. But when people are denying stuff, or when you become the scapegoat, and of course I was the queer, gay, trans, vegetarian, artistic. I was pretty much well, we can't very have a vegetarian in the family. If no, you, no, I no. mean, really, you know. So I've like, I feel like I that role was already cast out for me, and then of course I went and had therapy, and then I, and I also been I've been sober twenty years, so I really challenged a lot of my family's um sent, you know, wh- where we where we stand, you know, on things and how we operate, and so for that reason I don't have a huge relationship with my family, and I also have to manage the relationships that I do because I don't want to take away my niece's relationship with my, you know, their experience of my, their granddad, you know. So I always say, well, you had a very different, I had a very different experience with my dad than you did, you know. And and there are those. And then also I see the fallout now where my sister's really struggling and I can tell that she's become the scapegoat. So I am trying to manage conversation with my family where some of her behaviour, which is, for me, just screams um, somebody who needs help. They're like, can you believe it? We're going to call the police. And I'm the one that's trying to go, wow, who would be Julie? Who would be my sister at the minute? You know, can we not have some love? And, you know, it can be quite harsh, those those That standpoint around... dysfunction and abuse can be quite hard because people don't want to acknowledge it for a start so they're looking they're looking for ways to brush over it or so yeah and that for me that that follows on with people's people in recovery like I have I've been in, I've been sober for 21 years so I find stuff around addictions having to have some of those conversations I never lead I very rarely lead those conversations but but trying to push people out of a little bit of denial around their behaviour or, or what's going on, I, can, I find can be quite difficult. And sometimes I, I feel like they, they actually make me slightly insane. And when I get to that point, I have to have them for my own sanity. A bit like what, I mean, what, what I would be, I would be Megan and Harry. That would be me and the family. <sighs> it's like, that's, that's kind of my role is to like name the game and then you're fucked literally like when I was drinking my family would make me a full English the next day and pat me on the back literally you know like I could literally trash a wedding my favorite thing for some reason I used to I say don't drink at that family wedding I would get I would literally annihilate everyone at the wedding with the worst but you know you've seen those films literally like that would be me and then the next day I'd like expect the word there would be a full English on the table cut to me getting sober getting my life together cleaning up my act, being a much more useful person in the world, 
it's like that's when the problem started because I came into honesty and truth and honesty and truth I remember very early in my sobriety somebody who I really loved and they've been sober a long time they said you have to understand the power of honesty you really have to understand the power of honesty so I think sometimes just being honest can create some very uncomfortable awkward situations (laughs) and conversations in my view yeah it sounds like your family culture is not one of discussion and talking talk about caravans they're quite yeah, keen on okay. a caravan. We can talk a lot mm. about caravans. Yeah, we can talk a lot about... I can sit there. I'd finished a seven-year relationship. I mean, I kind of... I've got to a point where I can sit with it now. But I've sat there having just finished a seven-year relationship while they're talking about um, somebody down the road who's just split up with somebody after a year. And they've got... It's, they're, it's, they're very interested in that. And I've sat there and, and just had to smile to myself thinking, that's amazing. Mm. But it's partly because maybe because I'm trans, maybe that relationship wasn't real. You know, obviously queer relationships in families aren't real. You know, if you haven't got married and produced a child, then it's not mm. real. So no, they're quite happy to... Um, yeah, there is a passivity. Like the first time I met them, <laughs> like presenting as a woman, if you like, trans woman, um, they just never said anything about it. My mum said she liked my shoes. I mean, it's also in the show. And then my, my nieces went through my makeup bag and then my brother just asked me what route I took to drive there. Like, what, what, what roads? And I was like, okay. And I waited and then nothing came. And I, I, I went for a walk, nobody mentioned anything. And my brother said, but I thought that was a good thing. And I think that's where they stand, you know, they think it's a good thing. But actually, I have operated in their denial very well because I literally got away with murder, because nobody was interested in me at all. So that kind of created who I am. But I think as an adult, it means I can't have, I can't have relationships. I can't go into their houses where the televisions are the size of the, the rooms and they're on. Yeah. You know, that's another thing in my family. The televisions are on, yeah. you know. Like my niece had cancer and I went home specifically to see her and, and she was making tea and seemed really busy. And I was like, wow, I'm really surprised it. She's up and about. My brother said, what do you mean? I went, well, after her, she's just had cancer. <laughs> you know, I'd say to my brother, I was like, yeah. what do you have to do in this family for people to click out of that denial? You know, and actually somebody said to me brilliantly, do you really want to be around when that wall of denial comes down? And I don't actually, because imagine if suddenly that shield yeah. came off. But it does mean you're navigating, you're navigating... Um, the the difficulty is navigating that because they're like little hot spots and you know if you said something it would just go into a void and I have a terrible habit of carrying on speaking and I'll and I'll <laughs> fill in the void and then I'll be like I don't know what I'm saying anymore I'm <laughs> saying stuff because they're not saying anything <laughs> and I'm in here now I'm in this little I'm in hole now. yeah I I'm do in, that. I'm <laughs> just gonna carry on and I'm gonna start talking about clitorises I don't know <laughs> respond then if you make them talk about something well I mean I have no contact with most of my family so I think that's how it works out I am usually seen as like um kind of yeah you you it's like the royal family you know they can freeze you they're you know they, they can freeze you out because you are challenging them. You are asking them to take some responsibility for what happened. Like the abuse in my childhood, you know. Like, I found that very difficult after therapy because I was one of those people that, like a lot of people, you dismiss it with humour or you just normalise it in some quite unhealthy ways, you know. And I remember saying to my brother, but what about the abuse in our family? You know, like, I was the third boy if you like and then my sister came along and so my dad would actually be too tired to hit me by the time he got to me so so I know that my brothers had a really terrible we were all hospitalized as children it was bad you know and and I remember saying to my brother come on let's talk about that abuse and he said okay yeah maybe sometimes the punishment outweighed the crime and that was that was about as much as that's the nearest we've ever got to talking about that. And I, have, I did get my mum and dad to apologise to me at that wedding, actually, when I, <laughs> I literally called them, made them apologise. I made my dad cry. I made my mum and dad cry and I made them apologise. I literally, my line was, I said, you were just shit parents, violent shit parents. 
Admit it. Gosh. And they cried and then they did. Yeah, and they both apologised. And actually, I feel like I could have my mum and dad walk in here now and I, I have forgiven them. And, you know, that's what you have to do as well. <clears throat> um, you know, with all that, it's very important to move through it. But um, it leaves its scars. And I think the thing is, it can keep opening those scars if, if, if there isn't some understanding. I mean, we could have all healed as a yeah. family, you know, if everybody had got sober or not sober, but if everybody had taken some kind of personal development or had access to that or felt like it wasn't just thing that posh people did, you know, like my, or had the money to do it or resources or however it was, if we could have moved together as a family, I think there was a lot of, there would have been a lot of fun and joy. And I do feel sad that I feel like, why was it me that had to bloody, you know, go off and do all that work? And then the result means you have to leave the family because you can't, you can't operate in truth in that mm. family. With my nieces, it's different, actually. I have a very different relationship with my younger nieces. I feel like they're very... I, I think I can see some of my work that I've done working with them. You know, they're very positive about who I am. and. I'm so I'm sorry doing. to hear about your niece's cancer. That's really scary. Yeah, that it didn't get... I was surprised it didn't get as acknowledged as much as it did. It doesn't mean she isn't loved and, and supported, but I was surprised... I was like, you know, whether it's... What what does have to happen sometimes in families? To, so, <clears throat> so that those conversations uh, can move on from. It's like a game, isn't it? You know, it's like a little dance that families mm. do, and it's hard to be around yeah. after a while. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. This is a maybe slightly like therapy, like psychoanalyzing, but like, where do you think the denial comes from, and like why? Why do you... Th I have a good idea, sort of social conditioning, yeah. British culture. Yeah. But, like, where do you think it comes from? And why do, do you think, especially in families, it allows itself to exist so freely and so easily? I think it's, it's important. I think it has to, because if you break denial, somebody has to take responsibility. Mm. And if, it, you know, people very rarely want to take responsibility because that's quite scary. Oh, they yeah. have, they have to They have to own up to their behaviour. I mean... You know, I I think there is a point in your life where surely you do have a recall of being violent or abusive, whatever you've done, and that yeah. will catch up with you. But to have to face that, you know, in recovery, you have to um, make amends to people. Part of step nine is making amends. And that is a lot about facing up to things. And um, I don't think we're encouraged to or supported to face up to things to help everybody move on. You know, I think I think mm. we don't have a culture of that. We have a blame culture and we have a big, huge amounts of secrets in our um, culture. And I'm not very good with any of that. I find I find like my boyfriend now knows to not hide anything. I would rather know the brutal <laughs> truth. Like we have no money and I'm about to lose my legs. And, uh, you know, my head is going to fall off in five minutes. I'd be like, thank God you told me. Because if, if, if it, like, but there, there feels like a strength. What people don't realise, there is such a strength in truth. But there's a fear of truth, you know, and like it's going to actually ruin things. Whereas actually, it, you, move, you move nearer to people when they're vulnerable. Like if somebody says, I'm really sorry I did that and I really regret doing that. What's not to love about that? You know, mm. whereas if somebody's like won't even acknowledge it you know it's it's amazing and there isn't any blame for me it's it's just I had to step away you know so I mean I'm in the position to have I had a lot of those conversations and then I exhausted myself yeah god get me mine are all quite fine but you 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 just maybe I should have just talked about having to ask a housemate to leave <laughs> no these are fantastic no these are brilliant I'm so like mm. grateful that you you know that you feel like you can sort of mm. share them and stuff I think we love really all the variations of difficult conversation we love the housemate shit but we also love the like real deep stuff yeah the real yeah. stuff but this is the stuff that's also like happening like I'm you know people I'm sure I'm sure people will relate to this stuff 
like I'm relating to it and yeah. it's comp- like my experience is completely different to mine so yeah. you know I think it's I think we can all you know take bits of like everything that everyone says yeah. sorry no, I'll be quiet because sorry this is just me this. whenever so. anyone talks about their stuff I'm like oh my god I can't connect to you no but it's real. it's really <laughs> making me think about so like my mum so my mum's side of the family is Australian and my dad's side's really English they're like mm. Irish Catholic and mm. like we don't really know my dad's side very well um and my mum's side they're all like really loud and it always feels like there's drama going down because everyone's always fighting about something but I'm just kind of realizing Mm. now it's because people talk to each other whereas like there's loads of shit on this side but like and it's so funny but but like and but there's not a lot of love and I don't really vibe with this side of the family no and I had that growing up as well I remember I had a family who it was all internalized so we were out like once all the shouting and screaming and hitting was done you could just get on and have your tea you could literally just like there was some kind of normality whereas like my friend's house was probably middle class actually it was mm-hmm. all you could see the ulcers forming within the mum and dad they were like it was all very uh, it's time now um can you put that away da 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 mm-hmm. you know you felt like it yeah. was really like Okay, and I did find those two worlds quite difficult to step between, actually. I think it's education. I think it's about, you know, if they could teach anything at school, I think if they could teach people how to talk and communicate and be honest and, you know, wouldn't that be amazing, really? That would be so amazing. To have a conversation. Yeah, then none of these conversations would feel like difficult conversations because everyone is just freely, easily able to have them. You need to you need to set up the difficult conversation yeah, school. Yeah, or like yeah, like a club oh, for kids for a hundred percent club for kids. But kids are dying yeah. to chat, and they're dying to ask big questions. They are. Mm. They want to know everything. They want it. They they want to know. They want. I'm currently. Oh, they well, live I'm in just... the truth. They live in the truth. That's why I like. If I'm at a do, I will gravitate because I don't drink stuff. I will gravitate to kids because I know I'm going to have a sober, honest <laughs> conversation. Mm. You know, with that yeah. five year old, I'm going to have more probably more of a connection and less bullshit there's definitely some great things in there i mean kids you transition as a as a trans person transitioning with a kid is very easy mm. very easy usually one of their mates is already trans and they're like yeah well whatever you know and um but it's uh there's a lot of there's that there's that level of honesty they know if you're being honest and they operate in honesty that's that's yeah. that's that's their vibration you know before they've been Wait. yeah it's no, so you, interesting oh go on no, I was just going to say, I've just started a new job at a school and um, it's so interesting being in a school now um, when like, because I mean, I had a bit of a, I was, like just trying to figure out like what, because I hate, I don't like honorifics. They really stress me out. I don't like them. I don't, mm. like I don't, like that whole Miss Ms. Mix, like that whole mm. thing. I was like, oh God, I have to choose one. I just want to go by Mel. Like the, anyway, so I was like having that whole thing. And the teacher was also, but also I was sort of like trying to bait the, school out as well because I didn't know it and I was sort of baiting it out being like oh like do I how do I sort of go about saying like well I go by they and I go by she like it's kind of like all you know all of that kind of thing and I because I wasn't sure like going into a new school I don't know I don't know whether they had covered sort of anything to do with you know different people going by different pronouns etc so I just wasn't sure anyway but the person who hired me he was like yeah we have kids who um who who go who are non-binary and we have um you know a teacher who goes by um mix and all of this and I was sort of like slightly to be quite honest taken aback that it was sort of so flippantly put out there because they they, these children are in this environment whereby they feel like they can exist and it's so and Mm. the teachers are sort of really good about it and it it, i don't know like obviously schools have come on so much in recent times it's also a lottery i think i think it's a lottery yeah i'm very lucky you know i'm aware i'm aware that i might have to go soon yeah we can because i've because it took me so long. No, to we can up. wrap it up. That's Absolutely. okay. That's fine. That's fine. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing these amazing You're conversations. So Is there anything you'd like to plug? That's okay. Before you go. Well, I think you've done a really good job. Thank you with the festival. I think that's brilliant. Um, no, and there is that event coming up at the end of the month. If you go on transcreative.uk, so that's that's all our social medias, our website. There's a lot of stuff on there that's interesting. If you want to contact me, I am Kate at transcreative.uk so you know if you're kind of 
want to know more, get involved in our mailing list and kind of see what we're up to. You know, we're, we're always trying to be very northern in our kind of view of kind of trans art. Woo, woo, woo. <laughs> but we're also kind of quite getting bigger with international stuff because of the lockdown. So, yeah, um, I haven't got loads to plug, really, because it's the lockdown. Stay safe, right. everybody. And people who are venturing back into theatres and doing theatre work, I've got my eyes on you. I'm really keen to see how it goes and the pioneers who are going to head back into those spaces um i'm probably not going to be one of them for a while because i'm shielding with my partner who's type 1 diabetic so but the vaccine is on the horizon folks yes soon we will be having live podcasts i can't wait for my vaccine oh my gosh we'll be able to sit in a room together i can't wait it'll be great won't it fantastic we're all gonna be jabbed up but thank you thank you yeah thank you so much This has been Open House with Mel Lowe and Clancy Ryan. Music by Glenn Clark.